Good evening, brethren. If you are visiting, we are happy that you have chosen to be with us. Hope that you leave here edified and encouraged as you go your way. Brethren, we are witnessing a historical upheaval in our society. The moral norms that we have always known are being turned upside down. They're being questioned. They are being challenged. And it's not that they are innocently questioning things. The forces of Satan are viciously attacking the moral standards that this country was founded upon. Not since the 1960s have we seen such utter chaos in our society. For those of you who are not old enough to remember the 1960s, there were riots in the streets, there were racial riots, there were riots against the war, there were marches, there were protests. We had the free love movement in which the, the hippies and the liberals said that there are, there are no standards that they must observe. Marriage was questioned. Homosexuality was brought to the forefront of our society. The police, the military, and the government were constantly under attack as never before. And now we see the same things happening again. And brethren, have you ever stopped to think that the children and the grandchildren of the children of the 60s are now in charge? And as we think upon these things, we have to realize that we shouldn't be shocked. Because those who had violently attacked our society before have raised up a generation behind them to do the same thing. What we have to do is realize that we must remain firm. We must remain committed and we must, brethren, defend the gospel at all costs. Since that societal fiasco in the 60s caused so many young people to be arrested, to be put in jail, because they did violate the law. There were those in society, and many of them who had children who had been arrested, pushed to change the laws. And the laws were changed to where a young person under the age of 17 years old if they met certain requirements, could have their records sealed, and the charges against them would never be revealed to the public. And for that reason, there were many in society who thought, well, I can live as I please until I'm above 17 years old, and nobody will ever know what I've done. It won't show up on the job applications. It won't show up on a credit search. It won't show up on their uh, military search if they try to join the military. They thought that they had a carte blanche license to do as they pleased as long as they were under the age of 17 years old. We have witnessed the fruition, brethren, of this, I believe, in the, the case of Brett Kavanaugh. And we see a prime example of why our young people should be careful with their character and with their conduct while they are young and not think that they can behave as they want to and nobody will remember. You see, Brett Kavanaugh was a young man who was popular. He lived a somewhat privileged life as he went to a private school. It was a Jesuit school. It was a religious school. 
So many of the things that he did, he should have known better. But he didn't do better. Because you see, it was his character as a young man that got, that got him to the trouble that he is in. This woman who accused him of doing the things that she said he had done attacked him and he had no defense because of the character that he had when he was a young man. He was one who was subject to drinking and he admitted he drank a lot and he admitted that he had gotten well intoxicated several times and he hung around with a group of boys who had bad reputations. Most of them had reputations that he did and even worse. So when she made these claims, he could not stand on his moral character and say this is absurd, but rather he had to depend on those who were guilty of the same conduct as he for his defense. 36 years after he graduated high school, 36 years, he had built a reputation as being a conservative jurist as being a moral man, as being an honest man, a man of integrity. And yet because of things that he did 36 years ago, or someone said he did 36 years ago, he was held in question. Well, do we believe him or not? Could he have done this just one time? And so he had to go through all this grief. Could you imagine a man who is in his 40s has built a career as a, a lawyer, an attorney, a jurist, has a fine reputation, has two young daughters, and all of a sudden he has to explain his conduct as a young man to these two young daughters. How do you do that? How do you explain to your young daughters that they're not to drink, that they're not to go out with certain people, and they are to behave themselves. If all of a sudden it, all this information is cast upon them and they know what kind of a man that their daddy was when he was a young man, how do you do that? How do you justify telling your daughters not to do these things? I can only imagine what's going through this man's mind to this point. How many regrets he has for the things that he did as a young man. Not that he did anything illegal, but that he did things that were immoral and ungodly. And now forever, until eternity, when people do research on the justices of the Supreme Court, when they look at Brett Kavanaugh, it's going to have an asterisk by his name that says when he was nominated, he was accused of these things. And if certain historians get a hold of it, they will, of course, twist it and they will say that nobody knows if he was guilty or not. But it was all because he was not guilty, not careful of his conduct, not careful of the things that he said, the things that he did as a young man. Never giving thought that the conduct of what he was doing at this young age would affect him in the future and almost cost him a seat on the Supreme Court. A prime example of the upheaval in our society, brethren, and the, the way that things are being challenged is a sign on the, the Billy Jenkins Church 
down here, the, the Universalist Unitarian Church, they're having a transgender memorial day. A transgender memorial day. Back when we were coming up, people would have been ashamed of these things. They would have been embarrassed to be associated with these things. And now, brethren, they, they parade them openly down the street and dare anybody to challenge them. And if it's this bad now, can you imagine what it's going to be like when our little ones get to be my age? Because these forces will not stop. They're going to be a persistent thorn in the side of decent people for as long as I'm alive. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul exhorts Titus, he says, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Not that they shouldn't drink, of course they shouldn't, but rather to be aware of their surroundings, be aware of their conduct, be aware that they have influence on other people, and be aware that what they do, people are watching. Our young people need to understand that people are watching them. And they need to understand that their conduct reflects on their parents and on their grandparents as well as it reflects on them. Teach them to be sober-minded. Now, we all like to have fun. We like to have a good time. And, and we like to enjoy each other's company and each other's fellowship. But we need to understand that there are boundaries that have been set for us so far as what is proper and what is not proper. How can you explain to a young man or a young woman about the the evils or the things that could happen to them when they do things, if we are guilty of these things ourselves. Paul goes on to say, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. How is our speech? Is it friendly? Is it godly? Is it moral? Paul says that we are to have sound speech. There are people who find a problem to every solution. There are people who can find no good in life. And if I might use this example, um, at work we receive turkeys for Thanksgiving. And immediately the grumbling among some of the, the technicians started, I wanted a ham. One even said the turkeys weren't big enough. Where is the gratitude in our society for the blessings that we have? Where are the blessings, the gratitude in our society for, for the goodness that others show toward us? My father-in-law is a good man. He always has been. He's always gone out of his way to help others. And this, what he said, affected me in, in ways that he will never know. There were several of us over at his house. We were, were helping around the house. We were doing things. And he took a deep breath and he said, for the first time in my life, he said, there's charity going on. He said, I'm the receiver and not the giver because he has given away more than, than, than I could ever imagine so far as helping other people. We need to learn how to accept charity, accept generosity, accept things from other people, brethren, as well as give things 
And we need to know how to say thank you for the blessings that we have and the things that people do. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. There are always going to be people watching us. There are always going to be people criticizing us, second-guessing the things that we do. But Paul says that our character, our manner of life, should be to the point that when they do this, they should be ashamed. Knowing that what they say is not true. If Brett Kavanaugh had been more diligent to guard his character when he was a young man, clearing his path to the Supreme Court would not have been an issue. But because of his conduct, the charges that were made against him were made more believable because of the other things that he had done. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 14 through 17, Paul addresses the young Timothy. He says, continue in the things that thou hast learned. Timothy knows these things. Paul acknowledges that he knows these things. It's not that he is there. It's not that he knows them. But Paul says, continue in these things. Make them a part of your character. Make them a part of your life. Make these things part of you. He says, continue in these things that thou hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He has known them from a child. There are many brethren who were not raised in the church, as we say. They have not grown up in the church, have not, grown, have not known things the way that we do. And I wonder sometimes if we don't expect too much of those who are converted. We expect them to come in knowing the things that we know, having the experience that we have and the knowledge that we have. And when they make mistakes, we're too quick sometimes to criticize. Paul told Timothy, you've known these things from a baby. And yet he still has to be reminded to continue in these things and to do these things and to keep the faith. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Paul is reminding Timothy where his blessings come from. Remind him of the source of his knowledge for the things which he must do. And that these things are perfect and that they equip, equip us for the walk that we are to do. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul says, This I say therefore, testify to the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. There are people out there, brethren, who have no problem with the sin that they are involved in. In fact, they rather boast about it. They're proud of it. Paul says, don't be this way. He says, they have the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They are ignorant, brethren. They are ignorant of the, the fallacy of which they live their lives. 
They're not stupid ignorant. They're just ignorant of the consequences of their actions. They can't understand that the things that they do cause them the problems that they have. Certainly, certainly I couldn't have, have done something that would have caused me all these problems. People who go to the casino and throw their money away and wonder why they can't pay their bills. When I was with FedEx, I delivered to many of the banks up in Wetumpka, and they all told me the same story. They said it was not uncommon for two or three times a week. Someone to come in and request a loan because they couldn't pay their bills that month because they had gambled it away. It's a service station out on Highway 14 between Wetumpka and Elmore. And the guy is struggling because he said these young couples are not buying as much gas as they used to. They used to come in and fill up once a week. And now he said they go to the casino and they gamble their money and they put just enough gas in their car to get by. And they can't understand why they can't pay their bills. Paul says that they are past feeling and they've given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. You didn't learn this from Christ. It's greed. They want worldly things. They want things for themselves. They want the, the, the glory of this world. Just recently, the, the Powerball lottery, I believe it was the Powerball, one of the lotteries hit $1.3 billion. And everybody's going berserk. Somebody won $1.3 billion. But do you realize that there were $1 billion 200,999,000 losers also. Somebody had to lose that money. And it's all because of greed. Everybody wants to get that dollar. It's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Peter says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Those moments when you do things that you know you shouldn't. And it wars against your soul. It tears at your conscience. Paul, Peter says to abstain from these things. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. They behold you good works, but yet they speak evil against you. Same thing that Paul spoke of, that they may be ashamed to say evil things against you. They know your character. And there are people in this world who resent those with good character. In the summer of 1805, a group of Indian chiefs and warriors met in council at Buffalo Creek, New York. And they heard a presentation by Mr. Cram from the Boston Missionary Society. After the sermon, a response was given by Red Jacket. He was one of the prominent chiefs. And this is what he said. He said, Brother, you say there is but one way to worship and serve the Great Spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree as you can all read the book? Makes sense. You all read the same book. Why can't you agree? 
Why don't you teach the same thing? But he went on to say something else, brethren, that's just as important. He said, he said, brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again of what you have said. Chief Red Jacket said, we're going to watch. These are our neighbors. But did you notice what he said? He said, they're not honest. They're disposed to cheat Indians. They're not honest businessmen. If what you're preaching uh, changes them, he says, then we'll hear you again. Have you ever stopped to think that people are watching you every day? People are watching to see if you live what you teach. Do you live what the Bible says? Are you honest in business? Are you honest with people? Do you treat people fairly? Are you good to people? Had a discussion with a man several years ago, and we were talking about a brother who was an elder. And he grumbled and he said, that man has no business being an elder. I said, why not? Well, 25 years ago, when he was in high school, he did such and such. I said, the man has changed. He's repented of, of what he's done. Yeah, but, but I still remember what he did. You think what you do on a daily basis is not important? It is important. Because even though the government says that they will not release your records, they'll seal that record up. People remember. And people usually don't remember the good things. They remember the mistakes that you make. Yeah, all those times that, that you showed good character and good conduct, people expect it. And when they see what they expect, they don't really take note. It's just another day, another occasion, another instance, and you did what you were supposed to do and people move on. But when you make that mistake, when you lose your temper, when you say something you shouldn't, when you go somewhere you shouldn't be, people remember. I remember several years ago, in fact, it was around 1977, I worked at Dale Champs on Atlanta Highway. There was a liquor store next door. And I was getting off of work one Friday evening. I saw an elder walk out of the liquor store and put a brown bag in his trunk. And when he turned around and saw me, he turned white as a sheet. The man's wife was a fantastic cook. And it's known that she made several dishes that required different ingredients. I don't know what I was involved. And this was a good man. So I assume, brethren, I've never told anybody the man's name, but I assume that he was getting it for her cooking. But the point is, I remember the occasion. Remember some other things about this man, but I also remember this occasion. Forty years ago have no other reason to believe the man was, uh, was immoral in any way. 
but I remember what he did this one night. And the reason I bring this up, brethren, is to remind you, and remind the young people especially, that, that one occasion, one occasion when you do something, people will remember. And usually it's the most inopportune moment. When I was with FedEx, I would walk into an office. If, if I walked into a group here and I had a letter for, for Frank Chesser and I didn't know who Frank was, I'd say, I've got a warrant for Frank Chesser. And if nobody knew who they were, I would say, well, Frank must be a pretty good guy. And, and they would say, why is that? I'd say, well, if he was a troublemaker, you would know. And generally, that's the rule. People remember the ones that caused them problems. The ones that are different, the ones that are, are, are troublemakers or are hard to get along with. And generally, brethren, it was the case. People remember those who are difficult. What if everyone waited to see the effect that our religion had on us before they obeyed the gospel? Would they obey it after they watched us? Would our character, would our behavior encourage them to be a Christian? As Chief Red Jacket told this Mr. Cram from the Boston Missionary Society, what does our character, what does our behavior tell others about our religion? William Hers uh, Hershey Davis, I don't know who the man was, but he wrote some things about character and about integrity. It's a little lengthy, but I'd like to read it, brethren. It says, character is the one thing we make in this world and take with us into the next. The circumstances amid which you live determine your reputation. The truth you believe <laughs> determines your character. Reputation is what you're supposed to be. Character is what you are. Reputation is what you have when you come to a new community. Character is what you have when you go away. Reputation is made in a moment. Character is built in a lifetime. Reputation grows like a mushroom. Character grows like an oak. Your reputation is learned in an hour. Your character does not come to light for a year. A single newspaper report gives you reputation. A life of toll gives you character. Reputation makes you rich or makes you poor. Character, brethren, makes you happy or makes you miserable. Reputation is what men say about you on your tombstone. Character is what the angels say about you before the throne of God. Your reputation is what men think you are. Your character is what God knows you to be. Simply stated, Mr. Davis noted that there is a difference in one's reputation and one's character. They are intertwined, but brethren, they are different. Because character, as we have noted here, <coughs> takes a lifetime to build. But it only takes a moment to destroy, a moment of weakness, a moment of indecision, a moment of what if, a moment of doubt. And that character, that reputation that we have spent so long in building is gone because of a weak moment. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 24, Paul says that some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. 
our sins catch up with us. Ask Brett Kavanaugh. He never thought, brethren, in a million years. He probably forgot about this party he was supposed to have been at. Forgot about a lot of other parties. Forgot about a lot of other things that he did. But other people didn't. Some men's sins are known beforehand. They live and they die and they're able to cover their sins. And they will answer for these sins in judgment. Other sins catch up with us. And we have to pay the price for those sins that we commit. Likewise, also, Paul says, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Our good works go before us. They are known. We don't have to brag about the good things that we do. Some people like to do that. People take note. They know who does good works, and they know who will not work. They know who will help and who won't. And those things are known without us having to advertise. Some people do it for glory. Some people do it for fame. But when we do it that way, brethren, we have our glory and we have our fame. God rewards us for the works that we do. We don't have to do it so others will know because God already knows. And God will reward us for the things that we do. I ask you this evening, brethren, are you guarding your character? The example that Brett Kavanaugh has set for us should terrify each of us. It should help us to realize that there is a price to pay when we're not careful with our character, with our behavior. If you are here this evening and are not a member of the Lord's Church, we encourage you to become one. First, you must hear the word. You must believe it. Repent of your sins and confess Jesus as the Son of God. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And then live that good life that God has set out for us. If you are a member of the Lord's Church and you have somehow stumbled, perhaps in a moment of weakness, or if there's something that you need the prayers of the brethren for, we'll be glad to help you any way that we can. Will you come as we stand and sing?